Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Well, welcome to the Riveting Exchanges podcast as part of the Women in Manufacturing series. My name is Andrea Olson, and I'm here with Desiree Grace. And today we're going to talk about bad bosses. You know, everyone has had a bad boss at one point in time. You know, and and the thing is, is that they come in all different shapes and sizes and flavors. And some of them, you know, you feel like you're so frustrated and you really can't navigate how to communicate with them or how to get past a roadblock that they maybe they put up. And, and part of this is because of personalities and, and work styles. And we're going to dig into some of the types of bad bosses. We're going to do this in a three-part series and then come back and, and give you some really practical advice on how to deal with these personality types. So, so how are you doing today, Desiree? You ready to talk bad bosses? I am fine, Andrea. Thanks for asking. Oh, heavens, yes. Well, when we were deciding on this particular podcast topic, we were discussing some interesting experiences we'd had as a sidebar. And we had also talked about, hey, how did we deal with these situations? The longer we talked, the more we thought, hey, I bet our audience would like to hear about this too, because Boy, when you're in the mix and you've got that bad boss, sometimes you just don't even know what to do about it and you think your only solution is to quit. And in many cases, you can turn that bad boss to your advantage. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so Desiree, in your experience and exposure to a wide variety of positions and, and a few different businesses and industries, what have you come across as kind of some of those typical bad bosses, those, those different types of bosses? Oh, we've had the delegating diva. We've had insecure <laughs> Ida. Oh, and there, there's, there's power hungry Paul, absentee Al. You know, I think maybe the best thing to do is we can just kind of go down the list that, that we've developed. This is going to be, we think, a, a three-part series here. And let's talk about what we've both run into and then provide our listeners with some ideas or suggestions on how to best cope with these archetypes. We're obviously going to be professional and not name names. That's why we've, we've given them some sort of fun names to describe the bad boss behavior. But my hope is the audience will say, okay, that's an actionable idea I can apply today when I'm dealing with the delegating diva. And haven't we mm -hmm. all had that boss? Oh, God, yeah. That person that pushes off virtually everything and every task that, you know, you even know as an employee that it's their responsibility to get done, and they push it down to their entire team. And then they're the one that tends to report it out to upper management and they kind of look like the rock star, right? It can become very frustrating to develop reports or do all this research or understand, let's say, a market. And then they go and just give that presentation to, let's say, a VP or the CEO and, you know, get rewarded without you getting any credit or them even oftentimes saying thank you. You know, the interesting thing about the delegating diva is this is one of the bad boss types 
that becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly to everyone in the organization, at least at or below their level. And over time, the bosses become aware of it too. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I do want to say a good boss does delegate wisely. Maybe it's professional oh, sure. development. You know, maybe somebody's just really good at something. But we're talking the person that dumps everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my experience, the best way to expose that individual is make sure you carbon copy, make sure you consult and reach out to subject matter experts and colleagues within the organization. So you can say, hey, I am doing some research on a project. I've been assigned by the Delegating Diva, and mm -hmm. I'd like your input as I prepare this for her quarterly business review. Right. So you can, in a very respectful, appropriate way, when you're researching these projects you've been given, let people know that you're doing it on behalf of your boss. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're a good soldier. And you're a thorough project manager. So they're going to eventually get the score of the delegating diva if they haven't already. But, but here's the upside in this bad boss. You are going to establish an internal reputation of being the person that gets stuff done. Oh, and yeah. you're going to position yourself as the delegating diva's right-hand man or woman. To that end, I, I think, and I, I can tell you that there's a colleague of mine who's dealing with this directly today. And she often talks about how frustrating it is because, you know, it's, she has a situation where her delegating diva is in her branch location and corporate is in another state. So the problem that she has is the transparency of what work she's doing for her diva and that her diva is going on conference calls, video calls, site visits with the comprehensive documentation reporting she's doing on her diva's behalf. Now, to your point, there is some level of, yes, she should be giving her employees tasks that they are supposed to do. But there's a difference between having them put together the entire thing and then not give any credit to them. I think there is something to be said culturally that really starts kicking morale down. If there's not that thank you recognition or even some small recognition at, let's say, a corporate level, like, you know, my team put this together, including such and such and so and so, there is something to be said there. But usually those mega delegators, you know, the ones that do it all the time, they are looking for the credit, right? They don't want to do the work, mm -hmm. but they're the ones that want to be on stage and show all this information. So I think that there's a balance between, you know, being the right-hand man and being used. And I think that's where everybody gets frustrated with the diva, right? And so I'd say little things like, you know, simply putting your name on the report, you know, developed by so-and-so, you know, or if it's an Excel spreadsheet or something like that. You know, I don't think that's too intrusive. I think it's documenting no. the, your own work. You know, you might need to use that material in maybe a, a promotion interview or something like that. So I, I think it's important to give yourself credit where credit's due, you know. Did you I have any thoughts too, on that? 
I, I do. And I think that, you know, a couple things you can do is keep a file on the things that you've worked on mm -hmm. so that to your point, you have an opportunity for a lateral or an upward move. You can right. speak to your accomplishments. The other piece of this too, you know, if your friend and colleague has someone that is literally dumping everything on them, I think that's an appropriate place to push back and say, hey, Diva, you've given me five projects in one week. I'm still doing my main job as well as these projects, and I'm happy to support you. I need your help prioritizing. What are the top two that you need me to accomplish this week? Because mm -hmm. I'm going to need to push off the other three unless, you know, there's some additional responsibilities you can take off my plate if you want me to get all five done. Right. I think you can push back in a respectful way and ask for their assistance in prioritizing. And I think that's a way to subtly start establishing boundaries with the delegating diva. Mm -hmm. You know, I have seen where the delegator may be off hitting the gym for an extended lunch hour while the delegatee is sitting there eating from the vending machine over lunch. So they're working and trying right. their hardest to get these projects done. And right. yeah, that's not really appropriate. No, it's not. And that's the other thing is that oftentimes the diva, you know, they will, at least from what I've seen in my personal experience and also my colleague, that it's they're not adding value to the process, right? So if I need somebody, let's say as as a manager, if I need my team to put together a report and I need certain information from them, yes, I, there's nothing wrong with asking them for that. But just to take that information and then simply be the mouthpiece to upper management or the boss and say, oh, here's all the information without some added value on top of it, I think that's where the resentment comes. Nobody has a problem, or generally speaking, in supporting their boss or receiving a task that they need to do and doing that task. Everyone understands that's part of the job oftentimes. Of but course. when your boss isn't either A, bringing something else to the table in regards to, let's say, we're using this report example, in regards to that report, or in addition to bringing information back to the team. That's the other thing. And I think that's the big key is that those delegating divas go up, they get the credit, they come back and there's no, hey, this is what we learned. This is what we talked about. These are things that are going to impact our department, our company, our job, you know, transparency to, hey, this is how they saw the information. Maybe we could do this next time. Anything that really is of value that shows that they're thinking and engaged. So that's the problem is if you give them what they want, they're getting the credit to an extent because they're not having that back-end communication. So sometimes I would also recommend to almost do better than what they would do. And, and this is kind of a sneaky way to do it. And this is why. If a, a diva asks you for a report, you think about putting that report together in a way that's incredibly elegant and super well done, right? But that mm -hmm. there might be questions in that data that unless you've looked at it and put that report together, you couldn't answer, right? And even if you provided them with all the information, they would have to actually read it to be effective. 
So it's kind of a sneaky way to do it, but you're doing your job at the best level possible and you're giving them the best tools. But if they're not doing their homework, it's going to come out in that meeting where they're presenting the information, right? It's a subtle way to expose it to other people that maybe, you know, you can't see. Like my my colleague that, you know, has, you know, the C-level folks in a, physically another state. You know, it's she can't be in those meetings. She can't be there or she can't even see them in the hallway, right? So how does she get that message across, right? And I say it's do a beyond a stellar job in something that any one of that divas other communications are going to clearly not match, right, this type of reporting and information. And then make it so, you know, she would have to do a little bit of homework. You can provide all the information, but if she doesn't read it, it will be exposed. I think that is brilliant. And I think it also sort of dovetails into the kissing cousin of the delegating diva, which is the credit hog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They are they are so similar. And I think the credit hog actually sometimes crosses over into in other departments, right? I think they're not slowly, you know, like the delegating diva. It's about tasks and taking credit. The credit hog, I think, actually kind of spreads their wings a lot wider. Would you agree or, or are you thinking a different along a different lines? No, I would completely agree. I think the problem with the credit hog is to me, the delegating diva is the person that maybe they're a little on the lazy side or they think now that I'm the boss, I can have somebody else do all this work and I'll just sit here and, you know, have the glory. The, the credit hog is to some degree a little more deliberate in that mm -hmm. I've seen that persona just basically take credit for somebody else's idea. And that is so bad for morale. It is so bad for team building. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it's pretty demoralizing because we're all proud of having a good creative idea or solving a problem. And, you know, you try to do things for the right reasons, of course. But when someone right. literally takes credit for your idea or your work, that can be incredibly frustrating. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of the tactics that one would use with the delegating diva, depending on, you know, what the credit hog is taking credit for, you know, certainly carbon copying yourself or others on research. I think your point about anticipating questions, but not providing the answers for either the delegating diva or the credit hog can be a way to elegantly expose that behavior. Mm -hmm. And again, I do think over time, those people have their own internal reputation that they build the, the solace. And I realize it's cold solace. If they're taking credit for Andrea's idea, they're also probably mm -hmm. taking credit for Desiree's idea and Alan's right. idea and Stan's right. idea. So those folks, they're going to get exposed over time. And a healthy organizational culture isn't going to reward that type of behavior. Well, it, it's hard because you're going to have the situation where you, your coworkers, maybe other department colleagues are going to start having those conversations about this person. 
and it becomes that belaboring, you know, oh man, this credit hog, this is all they do, and becomes kind of a complaint session. And that it might happen once a day, it might happen once a week, it doesn't really matter. And to your point on morale, it makes a big impact, but it also starts sucking your time, right? That time that you're going to sit and complain and be frustrated about it, and everybody is, is really kind of defeating the fact of how can we go about really fixing this situation. On the other end of the spectrum, right, when we were talking about the diva, it was giving them more information. I think it's the the idea hog. It's about succinct information because if yes. someone has to expand on an idea, like you say, oh, let's do X. And they say, oh, yeah, I have an idea. Let's do X. And someone says, great. How do we go about doing X? They're not going to know because you've thought it through and they haven't. And I do think if you have identified that you have a credit hog, that precisely you don't give them all the information. The, the other right. thing I would do, frankly, again, you can push back nicely and say, hey, since this was my proposal or since I initiated this process improvement, I'd like the opportunity to present it since I'm the subject matter expert on, you know, AR flow or whatever mm -hmm. the topic may be. Sure. I know you're busy, so I will gladly take that off your plate and take the opportunity to prepare the presentation and present it as part of your meeting. There, yeah. are, there are ways yeah. to nicely, professionally, firmly either push back or again, position yourself as either that problem solver, the go-to individual, or the subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, the diva and the credit hog you know, the, the other thing that I think people need to keep in mind is that a lot of these folks' behaviors are not going to change, right? We want to nope. think that if exposed, if we if this was brought to light, that maybe they would be demoted, they'd be moved, they'd be fired, something would happen. And I, and I hate to say it, but in reality, oftentimes that's not the case. It just isn't the case. And, you know, it can cut, you got to be careful because you don't want to come off as a disgruntled person, right? That's the other end of the spectrum here as we go through these kind of different types of personas is that even though you can be incredibly frustrated, once you become the person that's complaining, you can lose credibility. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't bring up issues to upper management or your boss or whoever about problems within the organization. That's, that's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am trying to say is if you're talking amongst your peers and you're getting disgruntled and that's making you disgruntled, and then that comes out subtly in meetings and conversations and other company activities, you become that crabby person, right? And even though yeah. it might be fully legitimate, that changes people's perceptions of you, right? And you're also not taking control of the situation. You're just sitting there going, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm just going to be mad about it. Correct. And you're going to impact your own personal brand if you do that. Right. I had a colleague that he was working directly for the CEO. And he had a situation where the CEO would, he would bring ideas to the table and they were kind of the, and I'm trying to think of which persona this would be, 
that they weren't just, they weren't taking credit. They weren't delegating. They would basically shoot down everything. And then it would go back to, here's the three things that I want you to do. And that's the only thing that you're going to do. So new ideas were kind of stifled. And then they felt like, he felt like that they, the CEO was not really strategically focused in the right direction. So now it becomes this bigger difficulty in alignment of vision between the employee and the CEO. And what happened is he started to get really disgruntled about it. And he became unintentionally insubordinate, right? So, you know, the CEO would invite him to a meeting, right? That maybe mm -hmm. she wanted to talk with him directly about something. He would have the avoidance approach. He would say, oh, you know, I have another, I have a client meeting at this time. I'm going to be traveling at this time because he had a mobile position. And, you know, it would kick the can down the road and kick the can down the road, right? And that started to come off as you're a difficult employee to work with, right? Even though all this, ah. this underlying frustration, it didn't really matter because the CEO is the CEO, right? And you can't simply just kick the can or go into a meeting where there was multiple people around and step out and say, I totally disagree. That is the, you know, the stupidest idea, right? There were other ways that his frustration manifested. And it doesn't mean that you can't disagree again with the CEO. Like, that's not the intent here. But it's a matter of when and where do you have those conversations, right? It depends on your culture. But in this case, it wasn't something that you could do on display in a big group where you're just cutting them down in front of all of their team. So no one else, no one would want that to happen to them, right? Of course they would. No, so, never. Long story short, he got let go and he loved his job, but he just had this fundamental disagreement with the, the CEO. And so kind of going back to our, our initial discussion, you don't want to put yourself in that position of the disgruntled employee, no matter what persona you're working with. And let's be honest, the CEO is always going to win. Right. So you might as well accept that on the front end. That if the person you're disagreeing with is, you know, company president, CEO, senior VP, pecking order being what it is, they're in that position for some reason or several reasons. Right. And yeah. politically, let's not be naive. That's not a battle right. you want to take on. You're going to have to figure right. out a way to get along and manage up, work with that individual. Or, quite frankly, make a choice to leave on your terms. Exactly. Take control of it. Because even if, let's say, and I'm sure some of our listeners might say, oh, I know how they got that position and there's really no legitimate reason for it. Fine. But it doesn't matter. What nope. can you do about that? Nothing. Nothing. You can choose to leave, to your point. You can choose to say, this is not a place I want to work. You have that control. But you don't have the control of trying to talk, let's say, and, and, and I'm, this has been my experience, a CEO who had, you know, a VP that was their nephew, that was their cousin, that was, you know, a relative, you know, you're not going to break that bond. That's not going to happen. Nope. Maybe that VP, you know, only got the position because they were related to the CEO. Fine. You know, it happens all the time in private companies. It really does. And there is nothing you can do about that because no, blood is thicker than water. 
Right. You need to get over that particular issue and you need to reframe your outlook and say, hey, I love my job. Okay. You know, there's some political things I don't love, but in general, I love my job. So your colleague, right. sometimes you do need to adjust your own attitude. But hey, I think we've got time to talk about Lazy Louise. Oh, and yes. I, your comment about taking control, I think really dovetails nicely into what do you do about that lazy boss who mm. really just doesn't take action, doesn't move anything forward. You know, to me, that's where, you know, we were talking about a similar situation for the podcast. We, we've got some people that sort of function in a state of inertia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's an opportunity for you to take control and say, well, you know what? They're not taking action. I'm going to craft the agenda for the meeting. That can, in many respects, be a good way to deal with Lazy Louise. What are, what are your thoughts on that, Andrea? You know, it, it's tough because it depends on how that laziness manifests. So there's often times where, let's say, you want to move. You have something in your department that's super frustrating. You bring it to your boss and say, hey, we need, I'd like to change this because. And they say, yeah, okay. But they need to push it through the system, right? And you never get anywhere because they don't do it right they're just not going to push that idea through the system whether it's budget approvals it doesn't really matter and so i think teams get frustrated when they bring ideas to the table for a department or for a process improvement or whatever the case may be and keep hitting that lazy boss that goes oh man you know i don't want to try to push this through i don't want to have to do this extra work you know what? We're doing fine. We just, all we need to do is what we're doing and live that life. Right. And I think that's where you get departments that get this, that build apathy. Right. And then that apathy becomes culture. And then when new people come into the organization and try to make change, they're flabbergasted on why are we not doing this? This makes no sense, you know, and you start building this culture of no improvement, right? No need to. Why, why do the extra effort? So to your point, I think the trick is to, you know, take it as far as you can, right? On your own, if there's a way to do that and document those things. That's, that's another key. It sounds silly because you think, oh man, I document all this stuff and I never use it. When there's that opportunity, when you're meeting with a v, another VP, a CEO, something, you know, or somebody has an, an inkling where they say, man, I don't know why we haven't changed this. You can say, well, here's some things I brought to the table. When I brought it to the table, how far I took it, but here's my impediment. And it's not ever a personal attack. You, right. you don't want to call out lazy Louise. Instead, you might say, we ran into some hurdles with execution. There, there's a way to frame it where you're not making personal attacks because that can make you look unprofessional, disgruntled, negative. And so right. that is one of those cases where you do need to choose your words carefully. But, mm -hmm. you know, I agree with the idea of documenting your suggestions or documenting what you have owned 
as far as taking action. Right. Or be creative, right? If Lazy Louise is just going to be a roadblock for you, but they, they don't really care if you do something as long as they don't have to do anything, right? Let's make this assumption. Then yeah. how can you do it? Can you partner with another department that's going to be more open to the idea and maybe get it pushed through? Or is it something where another coworker can help you make it happen, right? Is there a way to kind of get around the lazy Louise? And it feels frustrating because you go, they're getting a paycheck. Maybe they're my boss. This is super frustrating that I'm doing all this work and they're getting paid maybe even equivalent to you and, and not doing anything. But I think it starts, it just, think of it as it's your own position. You can't change other people, but you can control yourself. And yes. so it goes back to building that brand of you're a person of action. You're not pointing the finger at Lazy Louise. You're just saying, listen, I just kind of need you a little bit out of my way. I'm just going to go do this. And oftentimes they don't really mind unless it becomes a personal thing or it becomes something where you're being derogatory about them. Just neutralize it and make it about the project, the initiative, the change itself. Well, and the other way to neutralize it, if Lazy Louise has other characteristics, you know, maybe she's also a credit hog, then mm, yeah, that's a case yeah. where you do the professional courtesy and say, hey, I'm moving forward with this project we talked about. I'm keeping you in the loop. Or yeah. I'm aligning my meeting agenda, going back to our previous example, with your goals for Q3. That way, Lazy Louise never feels undermined. She doesn't feel you're making a flanking maneuver around her and keeping her out of the loop. Right, right. You know, you, you can keep Lazy Louise in the loop. You can assure her that you're aligning with her departmental goals. And you're also, quite frankly, engaging in CYA. Right, right. Which is honestly mission critical. You really got to consider that in a way that, you know, isn't, isn't over the top, but you, you do have to consider yourself when dealing with any of these bad bosses is how does this action impact me? You know, is this putting, you know, my career at risk and, and is it worth it? And that's just, a, you know, a personal decision at every step of the way. Yes. I would say in general, it's better to over-communicate than under-communicate. And, you know, you can always check in and say, hey, I'm keeping you in the loop. I realize you're busy. If you don't want an update, you just let me know and I'll, I'll stop cluttering your inbox. But, you know, it, you can be in a position where a boss says, hey, I'd like to hear from you more often. Right. That, that's not a bad thing either. That's where you need to gauge the boss's temperament and you need to gauge the corporate culture. And you can ask for specifics. Hey, you want to hear more from me? You want to hear less from me? Could you tell me what that looks like? Can you give me an example? Mm -hmm. And then comply. Right. Right. Chances are Lazy Louise doesn't want to read a bunch of emails. So no, probably not. If you give Lazy Louise just a quick heads up that you're doing something so she, he, she does not get blindsided, you're probably okay because they're not going to want to read the report. They're going to be perfectly happy with three or four bullet points. And sometimes, you know, that again, as we had spoken about, Three or four bullet points, it can be powerful in the sense of you're giving them something simple to talk about, 
but they're not going to understand the depth behind those. So it depends on the situation. You know, you might need to inundate them with information depending on their personality, or you might need to really lean it up. But think about that balance between, you know, what you're trying to accomplish, their persona, as well as how you can keep things moving forward and find a middle ground where you're not being taken advantage of, but you're also not putting yourself in the position of a disgruntled employee. Exactly. It is a fine line between ticking off your boss and being taken advantage of. And you need to be the one that owns your attitude towards the job, as well as you're the one that essentially in the long run owns your career. I would say the thought we want to leave our listeners with for today is don't let the bad bosses get you down. Instead, figure out how to work with them. And in many cases, you can turn their less than wonderful qualities to your advantage and continue to move your career forward while managing the bad boss. And the reality is we're all going to have them in our career lives. But one of the things that separates successful people from people that maybe don't have the career they would like is you learn how to manage those archetypes as opposed to letting them manage you. Any final thoughts for our listeners before we bid them adieu? You know what? I I don't think so. But I I do want to say that this is just the tip of the iceberg and we've got a whole bunch of other personas we're going to dive into, those archetypes that, you know, we have personally dealt with or even know directly a colleague who has and really deliver that practical advice of how to handle it. As always, at Riveting Exchanges, our mission is to provide our listeners with practical, actionable tips, tools, and techniques to help them survive being women in manufacturing. We appreciate our listeners. We always welcome questions and comments. And next month, join us for another Riveting Exchanges podcast on bad bosses. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.